And y'all can be seated too. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll open it up to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Let's give the dads a round of applause. You know, most of the time, whenever we, whenever we think about uh, Father's Day, we think about our biological father, but fatherhood comes in a lot of different packages. There are, there are fathers who adopt children as their own. There are stepfathers who find themselves raising kids uh, as their own. There are fathers-in-law. In our family, I have a stepfather-in-law. My wife's my wife's dad uh, died when she was in high school, and then her mom remarried, and so in our family we have Grandy, and, and Grandy, uh, we're not, I guess, blood, but he's my father-in-law, and he's the grandfather to my children, and so I'm so thankful for the father figure that he's been to me and for the grandfather that he is to my children. In society, there are a lot of people that are father figures. You might have a coach, a teacher could be a boss, a mentor, a minister, a neighbor, somebody that plays that role as the father figure. And certainly we have our heavenly father, our heavenly father from whom we have physical life, from whom we have spiritual birth and eternal life. We live in a society where there are many that now say that fatherhood is no longer important. But though society may try to deny it, uh, everyone, everyone needs a father. We're in this series that we call the Royals, where we've been looking at the family into which the King of Kings was born. And today I, I want us to look at Joseph. And Joseph was the man that was chosen by the Heavenly Father to be the earthly father for the Son of God. Joseph, whenever he initially signed up to marry, to marry Mary, he didn't sign up immediately for fatherhood. He signed up for a wedding. And I would imagine that in his mind, he, he envisioned a quiet life. He would marry her. They would have uh, their life together in the country town of Nazareth. He would have his carpenter shop, and eventually God would bless them with children, and they would raise those children there in a tranquil, quiet town called Nazareth that was a little bit beneath the radar of the Roman Empire. But the Heavenly Father had different plans. And you know the story. Uh, Mary conceived in a supernatural way, and Joseph's world suddenly was turned upside down. But I want you to notice, first of all, that Joseph accepted the responsibility of fatherhood. If you'll look with me to verse 39 of Luke chapter 2, the Bible says when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, it's very easy for you just to read past that initial phrase there in verse 39, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord. It sounds real simple, But what all did the responsibility of fatherhood entail for Joseph? Completing everything according to the will of the Lord was a a big deal. It meant that he would embrace Mary as his wife, even though people would judge her and him, even though people misunderstood who they were. 
he still married her and took her as his own wife. It meant that life was going to become a lot more challenging. Life was going to become slower because he was accepting the responsibility of fatherhood. You know, one of the things that I am learning as a father of four, and that itself is kind of an overwhelming statement for me to say, but fatherhood requires a lot of patience. The other day, my family was driving back from Austin, and we stopped by Bucky's. Anybody ever stopped at Bucky's? You got to stop at Bucky's. If you see the big gopher on the side of the highway, stop at Bucky's. It's worth it just to see the bathrooms, if nothing more, okay? So we stop at Bucky's to go to the bathroom and get some slushies. 45 minutes later, three trips for dad in and out of Bucky's, a family photo in front of the gopher. We finally leave with our slushies. In fact, uh, we were at Bucky's so long, we had to go to the bathroom twice. Fatherhood takes a lot of patience, and Joseph had to step up to that and be that that man of patience, that, that fatherhood. I can imagine whenever he was called to pay his taxes in Bethlehem, previously as a single man, that meant that he got a few friends together and they had some camping trips on the way to Bethlehem. Now he finds himself going to Bethlehem with his wife, who is in the middle of labor. Can you imagine the difficulty of that challenge? Yet he stepped up to the responsibility of fatherhood. You may never have thought about this, but being a father for Joseph also meant that he and his family would become refugees. Matthew chapter 2 tells the story of how King Herod decided that he was going to kill all the young boys that were born in that area. And so The Bible says that an angel appeared to Joseph and they escaped Palestine and they fleed to Egypt. They were refugees living in a foreign country. And Joseph discovered that whenever you accept the responsibility of fatherhood, that God provides in unexpected ways. I think about the story whenever they arrive at Bethlehem and they can't find any room in the inn, but then God provides for them a stable. Can you imagine how much different the Christmas story would be if Jesus were born in a hotel room? I mean, away in the Hilton just doesn't sing nearly as well as away in the manger. You think about the wise men. They came to to worship the baby Jesus, and they also brought these expensive gifts. What gifts did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh. Well, you probably haven't ever connected the fact that right after the wise men leave, Joseph and his family have to flee to a foreign country, and yet what did God equip them with for their trip? Gold, so that he, they could pay their way. They also, while they were in Egypt, had an opportunity to, to live cross-culturally, and so they lived with people that were not like themselves. They learned to love others. And as Jesus grew, you see this, this attitude in his preaching and teaching in his life. You see him caring for the Samaritan woman. You see him caring for the Gentile soldier. Fatherhood is a call to responsibility. But understand this. When you accept that call, you discover that your heavenly Father provides what you need when you need it to complete your mission. Well, Joseph also accepted the responsibility of spiritual leadership. 
The story continues in verse 40. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. And every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Now you ask yourself the question, what was life like for Jesus when he was growing up in Nazareth? Well, we get a little bit of insight here. Physically, uh, he grew up from a little boy into a strong man. Uh, Jesus was a strong man. Right here, the Bible says in verse 40, he became strong. Jesus was not uh, this effeminate man with product in his hair. Jesus was a strong, masculine man. Uh, mentally, the, the scriptures say that he was filled with wisdom. Uh, Joseph and Mary, I think, helped the boy to see the world through the Lord's eyes and to have the wisdom of God in his life. And the Bible says that God's grace was on him. Now, just a little parenting jaunt here. It is vitally important that we teach our children about the grace of God. Particularly whenever they are young, we have this desire for our children to obey us. And indeed, the Bible teaches that children are to obey their parents. And so uh, you want them to learn to obey your voice. You don't want them running out in the street and getting ran over or anything like that. I, I understand that. But it's easy. It's easy if you're not careful to, to package your Christianity and to teach your Christianity in such a way that you raise your kids in a gospel of legalism that says whenever you listen to the Father's voice, the Father loves you. Whenever you disobey, the Father no longer loves you. And it's easy for us to lead our children to a, a gospel of behavioralism where, where, where we teach them that the gospel is all about a behavior transformation rather than heart transformation. Uh, we have to lead our children to the grace that God offers us through Jesus Christ. Help them understand that in Christ they are loved unconditionally, that their sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven by God. And God desires to change them from the inside out, to sanctify them in Christ so that they are new creations in Christ. And all of this occurs through the beautiful grace that comes to us through the cross. So uh, I've made a decision, and I hope you make the same decision, that if you are going to err, err on the side of grace rather than legalism. Guide your children to the gospel of grace. I think whenever they were in Nazareth, uh, life looked pretty normal for Jesus. He did not perform miracles as a little boy growing up. His first miracle occurred at the wedding feast in Cana. And so uh, even if movies come out that might be entertaining that show Jesus performing miracles as a child, that didn't happen until uh, his ministry began. Uh, In Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus worked in the carpenter shop. It appears that Joseph died somewhere between Jesus uh, being 12 and 30. Joseph died and Jesus uh, worked in the carpenter shop and probably uh, took care of that business during his 20s. Matthew chapter 13 and John chapter 7 teach us that Mary and Joseph had other children, so Jesus grew up in a family. He had, he had siblings. And Joseph and Mary 
raised their family to love God. You see this uh, when Jesus is a little boy. Before they fled to Egypt, they took him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. You see it here in the story that every year they made it a priority that their family would go to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration where they would worship and celebrate God. I can imagine that this once-a-year journey to Jerusalem was a lot of fun. I, I think they probably looked forward to it all year, and I can see Jesus and John the Baptist as little boys hanging out together on the, on the journey to Jerusalem. I can imagine Jesus and his family taking selfies in front of the temple, and I can see them camping out on their journey and just having a good time. Well, when Jesus was 12 years of age, he gave Mary and Joseph the scare of their life. The story picks up in verse 43. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind, but his parents did not know it. Anybody ever have your parents leave you? Happened a lot to me when I was growing up. I'd get left at church all the time. So his parents didn't know that he had stayed behind. Assuming he was traveling in a party, in the traveling party, they went a day's journey And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking questions. So it's about a 67-mile journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And they would make this journey on foot in order to make sure they were safe. The families, the extended family, would travel together. Sometimes entire villages would caravan together. And those of you that know anything about 12-year-old boys know they have a lot of energy. And so the 12-year-old boys, as they were making this 67-mile hike uh, with their families, they were probably all over the place. Joseph and Mary didn't helicopter parent Jesus. He had, he had some freedom. And so when they were there at the Passover feast, the, uh, he was doing his thing. And the time came for them to go home. And Jesus was not with the group. They're about 10 miles outside of Jerusalem before Mary and Joseph look at each other like, hey, they might know where Jesus is. And, and they can't find him. So they turn around. They head, back to, they head back to Jerusalem to make sure they can find Jesus. All the teachers in the audience today are saying, that's why you always take role. You always take role, right? Yeah. Well, this turns into a massive hunt for Jesus. Keep in mind, there's no iPhones. There's not the communications that we have today. And Jerusalem's packed out at this time. It's like Disney World at spring break. There's probably about 2 million people in the Jerusalem area, and they're trying to find their son. They look everywhere. Now, Mary and Joseph are simple people. They're not sophisticated individuals. They live in a a country town. He's a carpenter, a hardworking guy. Fine dining to them was Whataburger. You know, they, they bought Dr. Thunder rather than Dr. Pepper. How many of y'all grew up on Dr. Thunder? Yeah. yeah, they brought Dr. Thunder rather than Dr. Pepper. And so they're looking for Jesus in the, in the simple places. The last place that they would expect to find Jesus is sitting with the teachers of the law in the temple complex asking questions. The teachers of the law, these were the most educated people in the community. These were almost even celebrities in the community. They were the teachers of the teachers. And here's Jesus 
at the temple complex, sitting around, dialoguing with them, asking questions. Verse 47 says, And all those who, were, all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and answers. He was blowing everybody away at the spiritual insight that Jesus possessed as a 12-year-old boy. Well, his parents come onto the scene in verse 48, and when they see him, they too are astonished, but they're astonished for different reasons. Mom's got that look on her face. In my house, whenever Stacy's mouth moves to the side of her face, it's time to run, okay? So, so mom's got that look on, on her face, and she says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why would you treat me this way? Now look at Jesus' response. Why were you searching for me, he asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The King James words it in a way that I like. It says, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Now it appears that as a little boy, Jesus' relationship with his parents was pretty normal. It probably was much like the relationship that we have with our parents. Uh, He needed food. He needed clothes. Mary had to remind him to use a napkin and to wash his hands before dinner, those kind of things. He was just a normal boy growing up in the household. When he was about 12 years of age, it seems like a transition began to occur. And the Heavenly Father really began revealing the totality of his plans for Jesus. He was maturing. And it became more and more evident that Jesus was not sent to earth to care for his father's family business. He was sent to earth to be about his heavenly father's business. Now verse 50 is interesting to me because it says they did not understand what he had said to them. But then in verse 51, look at how Jesus responds. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was, what's the word? Obedient to them. He respected who they were. He respected his family's role in his life. He was obedient to his mom and dad. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with the people. This was a transition point in the lives of Mary and Joseph. And they didn't understand it all. Jesus was obedient to his parents, and as the years went by, it became more and more evident that God's grace and his favor was on Jesus, that he was not just a normal boy, that he is the Son of God. Now you say, didn't Mary and Joseph know at Jesus' birth that he was a miracle baby? What about the angels that appeared to them? What about John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb and the proclamation that he is going to be the son of the Most High? And what about the wise men and the shepherds and all this? Didn't they know all that? I mean, they knew who Jesus is. Yes, they knew all this. But there's also that daily grind. There's also the reality of living life day in and day out. And it's easy to forget that the child that's living in your household has the hand of God upon their life. And it was easy even for Mary and Joseph to forget that the 12-year-old boy who missed the caravan home was right in the middle of his heavenly father's will for his life. And so you see this parallel. It says that Mary 
kept all these things in her heart. You might remember that at the birth of Jesus that she pondered all these things in her heart. And so Mary had to process this all. She had to come to understanding herself just as to who her son was. But little by little, they began to know more and more about God's plan. Thirdly, I I want you to notice that Joseph accepted the responsibility of letting go. Accepted the responsibility of letting go. This is hard. Uh, It's really hard, you know, when your children are small and then they start growing and they become like these kids that are leading us in worship today and you start seeing them grow into adulthood. Uh, You don't own your children. They're God's. And our children are gifts from God. And they belong to God. Our children are not robots. They weren't sent to you to serve you and to do every single thing that you tell them to do and just be your little robots. Our children don't complete you. Your children's lives are not your life. They are individual people separate from you. And they also don't exist to fulfill all your dreams. God didn't give you that boy so that all the unfulfilled dreams in your life can be fulfilled through him. Our children do not exist to glorify us. Our children exist to glorify God. And the greatest call of parenting is to equip and free your kids to be about the father's business in their life. Letting go was hard. It is hard. It was hard even for Joseph and Mary. I like Ed Young's definition of parenting. Teaching and training your children to leave. One day they go forth into the world and you send them out. You send them out to be about the Father's business. And one of the greatest things you can do whenever they are growing up in your home is to model for them what godliness looks like, to teach them about the things of the Lord, to accept the responsibility of parenthood, to accept the responsibility of spiritual leadership, to lead them to know the magnificence of our Heavenly Father, to love Him, to lead them to that point where they are able to listen to the voice of God and hear that voice so that whenever you are no longer there, they still hear the voice of the Father and are able to follow His will. Letting go, in the case of Jesus, meant that he was going to be different than the other boys. He'd be sitting in the temple complex asking questions rather than playing baseball. Letting go meant that he wasn't going to run the carpenter shop forever. Letting go meant that mom was going to stand beneath a cross and watch her son die a horrific death at the age of 33, but it was a death that had deep, deep spiritual meaning because when he died on the cross, he was dying for your sins and dying for mine. All this was the Father's business in the life of Jesus. Uh, This week, we've seen testimony 
that we have amazing children here at Murphy Church. Uh, we see that through VBS week. Got to watch the kids and just see the kids that we've been blessed with. They are incredible kids. I watched our kids lead worship today and our students as they ministered throughout this week. And you guys are some incredible kids. We, we are deeply, deeply blessed with some kids that the hand of God is upon. And I also stand here recognizing that we have some amazing parents. 109 volunteers for a week of VBS. For a size church that we are, that's a lot of volunteers. We have people in this church that love children, that are willing to invest of themselves for future generations. Many of them didn't even have, don't even have children any longer in their home, but they're willing to care about the children that we have. We had senior citizens that were volunteering their time. Empty nesters volunteering their time because they love children. This is the day that we call Father's Day, and I just want to remind you that the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to let go and let God. Understand that your children have been blessed by God, and they have an amazing Heavenly Father, and God has created them. Each of our children is a custom-made creation of God. Have you noticed they all have different personalities? Even though they come from the same gene pool, they act differently. It's because they're custom-made creations of God. He's blessed them with gifts, and He has plans for their life. And one of the greatest things you can do is to lead them to their Heavenly Father and at that appropriate time send them out and let them go and be a part the heavenly, be about the Heavenly Father's business for their life. And to take delight when their lives glorify God. And when you find themselves stumbling and making when they, you find them stumbling and making unwise decisions, you encourage them and you speak wisdom into their life and you lovingly try to get them back to the point where they need to be. I get it. Today, as we celebrate Father's Day, uh, it's going to be filled with a lot of practical things. A lot of us will eat brisket today. <laughs> we'll give Yeti cups. Some of you are like, that would have been the perfect gift. I wish I would have thought of that. There'll be these loving cards. I, I was blessed. My little girls gave me cards that they had made for me, and, and I'm, I saved those. That they're very, very special to me. But before we do all this, before you give out the ugly ties, l- let me ask you this question. Who are the little ones that God has given you influence over? They may be your biological children. They may not be. But who are the children, the students that God has put in your life that you have influence over? Can we take a moment and pray for them? Can we pray for our children today? Would you bow your head right where you are and let's just take a moment to pray a blessing on our kids. Uh, The band's going to come and they're going to lead us as I pray. They're going to prepare to lead us in what we call the commitment song. And during this commitment song, you can sing with the band. Uh, I also want it to be a time where, where if families want to pray together, you can gather as a family and you can come to the altar. You can pray at your seat and you can have a family prayer time. But as a church right now, I, I just want to pray over our families and our children. Father, we thank you 
for these gifts that you have brought to our lives that we call our children. And Lord, we we pray that your hand might be upon them. We pray, Lord, that they might uh, grow to love you, to know you. Lord, I, I ask that they might experience the magnificence of your grace, to know that you have you have things that you have designed them for in life. And may they be about the Father's business. I pray, Lord, that we won't get distracted with all the other things that say, hey, go this way, but instead, Lord, may we, may we cast our gaze upon you. And as our children grow and mature, may they follow you down the path that you lead them. I ask, Father, for your blessing and your favor to be on our children. Lord, we live in a world where there's a lot of darkness, and I pray that the children of of Murphy Road Church will, will be light in that darkness. I pray that they might have courage and faith. I pray that you'll help them not to be satisfied with a life that is just all about security and safeness, but Lord, may they only be satisfied with a life that is totally following you in faith. Help them, Lord, as they go uh, over the mountains and through the valleys in life to hold the hands of those that they love. I pray, Lord, that we might hear stories from our kids about what you're doing and about what you're using them to do. I also pray today, Father, for those of us that find ourselves in a season where we sit on the porch like the prodigal son's father did and pray for our children and ask that you might grab a hold of their heart and turn their attention back to you. And we ask, Lord, that you will give us wisdom to navigate and wisdom to to be godly even whenever our children walk in ways that are not your divine design. And Father, whenever they return to grace, when they return to you, may we run to meet them and wrap our arms around them and may we, may we extend to them love and forgiveness and not condemnation. Help us, Father, not to raise our children to a gospel of behavior modification, but help us, Lord, to raise our children to a gospel of grace that understands that Jesus loves us and died for us and rose again and that in Him we have forgiveness and we have meaning and we have eternity with You. Help us, Lord, not to be satisfied for something that has the shell of Christianity. The exterior is there, but the inside's not. Instead, Lord, Help us to be driven by the gospel that brings to us the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. I pray for your hand to be upon these families here because I watch them week in and week out and I know they're trying so hard. Trying hard to do the right things and to bring opportunity and love into their children's lives. I pray that you might 
invade our homes. And that our homes might be known as a place where the love of God is strong. And because of that, we have a love for one another. A love that overflows our homes and into our communities and transforms our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.